Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. You're looking at the Memorial Plaza in front of the Vigo County Courthouse. It is here that the county seeks to honor the memory of those who lost their life in World War I, World War II, the Korean War, and the Vietnam War. As you stand and read the names etched into these monuments, you are reminded that there are people and countries around the world who would consider us their enemies. Jesus and his followers lived in enemy territory. The Roman Empire had invaded and conquered Israel hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. The Jewish people and the Roman authorities did not get along. They would have considered one another enemies. In one of the great teachings of Jesus, he talked about how his followers are to interact with those that they consider enemies. How about you? Do you have enemies? And how do you treat your enemies? Today, we're gonna learn that how we treat our enemies is at the heart of following Jesus. So just two little items of housekeeping before we get started today. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, and I encourage you to do that, it's always good to follow along, write, mark in your Bible, highlight it. It's healthy, helpful for you to do that. Turn to Luke chapter 6. That's where we'll be today. I encourage you to bring your Bible to church. I know we put it on the wall, but I want want us to be a church that brings its Bible to church. And um, if you forgot or didn't do that today, that's perfectly fine. We don't look down our noses at you or you're not a bad person. We'll put it on the wall for you so that you can see it as well. Second thing is this. Um, We've been doing these Beyond the Weekend papers, and there is one at the Welcome Center if you would care to take one home with you. The goal behind that is that if you do a quiet time, and I would encourage you to do a quiet time every day, that you would at some point in your quiet time just stop and, and meditate on that you know, we, get, we break it down into five days, basically, Monday through Friday, and there's a segment for each day, and if you just want to read that for whatever corresponding day, and it kind of connects you back to the, the sermon and, and helps you to remember what we've talked about and try to maybe put some of that stuff into practice as you go forward into your week, and um, again, they're available at the Welcome Center. They will also be available for download on our website when the sermon gets posted. Right there where you down the ser- the sermon, download the sermon on our website, you can also select and download the Beyond the Weekend paper. If that is too hard for you or you forget or whatever, and all you know to do is just email me and ask me for it, I'm happy to send you an attachment with that in it. Um, I use a Mac, so some of you may use a Mac and want to use a different format. I can email that to you if you want to. Um, We're just trying to make it as easy as we can for you to follow along in this series. I would like to think that I'll continue to do this. I don't know. I'm sure you can imagine it's hard to keep that up, but would like to think that we're going to continue to do that, and um, you've, the feedback's been really good, positive on that. So uh, enjoy the Beyond the Weekend papers. Last week we talked about this teaching where Jesus took two commands from the Old Testament and he kind of laced them together and he made them one new super commandment. He basically said, love God and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. And in giving us that command, what he really did was to cover two relationships. He covered the vertical relationship that we have with God, 
And then he also covered the horizontal relationship that we have with one another. And I don't know if you just saw what I did there, but that kind of forms a cross. Have you noticed that? The relationship with God coupled with the relationships with one another forms a cross. We should find ourselves in the middle of that little preacher ninja for you right there. So today we're going to look at the horizontal relationship um, and only today it's got a twist to it. And, and this is the question that is before us this morning. How do we love the people who don't love us? How do we love somebody that's coming after us? How do we love our enemies? In the teaching today, Jesus has gathered some of his disciples around, some of his followers. There are some people that are interested in what Jesus has to say. They're found, gathered in that place. And this teaching takes place in the region of Galilee, this area known as Galilee. It is up by the Sea of, of, of uh, Northern Israel. There's a Sea of Galilee up in Northern Israel. And Jesus is teaching on this flat area, you know, kind of like a plain and if you use what my Bible college professor called your sanctified imaginator, right? If you can just kind of close your eyes and picture yourself there listening to Jesus, this might very well be a scene that you could imagine, just seeing Jesus standing there in front of you, and then beyond him, the Sea of Galilee, as he teaches in this very serene, very peaceful-looking setting. That's what you get when you look at that. But the truth of the matter is, that things were anything but serene and things were anything but peaceful in the time of Jesus when he's talking to them up there by the Sea of Galilee. That's not what the, the, the Jewish people are experiencing because their territory had been occupied by Roman authorities. They had come in and conquered that area, area, area long before Jesus showed up. And with them, they brought all of their Roman pagan practices. They brought all of their oppression and their taxation these taxes paid for the opulence of the rulers of Rome. These taxes paid for the, the Roman Empire, and the Jewish people simply did not like them. They resented that the Romans were in their country and in their area. They didn't like it. They did not get along with the Roman authorities, and the Roman authorities weren't crazy about the Jews either. So there's just this real contentious relationship. You would call them enemies. Jesus looks at this gathering, and he says, if you want to be my follower... You've got to love these people, and you've got to learn to love your enemies. So today, I want to explore three areas with you. First, we're going to look at some of the commands that Jesus gives us in loving our enemies. And then we're going to look at some case studies, some scenarios, as to what does it look like in real life and in real time. And then we're also going to look at some motivations. In other words, why would someone do this? Because as you, we get into this, this is going to get hard, okay? Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Uh, we're going to look at verse 27. This is what it says. But to you who are listening, I say, which gives me great comfort to know that Jesus had people in his crowd that didn't listen too, okay? So it happens to even the best teacher in the world. Um, makes me feel good. Then we come into a series of commands, and I'd like for us to read these out loud together, okay? Can we read these out loud, starting with love your enemies? Love your enemies... Do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. So there's four commands there. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Let's talk about that first one, love your enemies. I, I think that a good starting point for us this morning is if we could bring someone to mind, okay? Probably when you found out we were going to talk about loving your enemies, you, that prop person probably already surfaced in your mind you, it may not have taken you long to get there. Take a second, think about it, 
Who is it that you don't get along with? Who is it that's coming after you? Who is it that hurt you? Who is that? Now, before we go any further, let me deal with somewhat of a complication in our study this morning. Some of you have encountered some incredibly mean people in your lifetime. They have done some horrible things to you, okay? Some of you are walking around with baggage and a history that, you know, some of us can't even imagine or comprehend. And there is no way in a 30 or 35 or 40 minute sermon that I'm going to be able to address those kind of deep wounds. In fact, to be totally honest with you, I'm not even trained to do that. I do a lot of counseling, but when I get in over my head, I have no problem sending you to somebody who's way better than me. I know my limitations. And so I'm not even trained to help you with some of that really deep stuff. If you have encountered significant hurt in your life, then I believe you need to get to someone with a level of expertise that is far beyond mine. Okay, so I encourage you to do that. Just know that. We're not going to tackle your deep wound today in this message. It's impossible. can't be done. Not today. But Anne Lamott is a Christian writer, and she uses a word that I kind of, a phrase that I kind of want to steal for the day. Uh, The phrase is enemy light. Okay, she talks about enemy light. That's probably best for our purposes this morning. I need you to think of an enemy light. Um, An enemy light is the mom of that kid that goes to school with your kid, that she's just obnoxious and rude and doesn't respect you. You know, you ever had that? And you're like, when she pulls away from you in a really fancy car at a really high rate of speed, you're hoping she crashes into something. That's what I'm talking about. That obnoxious person, that person you don't like, and you, you know, you, you give her what for all the way. It's the person that you work with that steals your idea. It's the person at work that ate your ham sandwich because even though you put your name on it and put it in the right place in the refrigerator, they ate it anyway, and you know who did it, and you just can't wait to get him alone because you want to pummel him, right? That guy, that's the guy I'm talking about, enemy light, um, someone that, that, is unlike us and someone that we don't like, someone that's got our attention in a bad way and we just want to hammer them really bad. C.S. Lewis said it like this. C.S. Lewis is really smart. He wrote this in Mere Christianity. If we really want to learn how to forgive, perhaps we had better start with something easier than the Gestapo, which is another way of saying, you know, let's, let's put some training wheels on this idea of loving our enemies. Don't pick the, the worst person you've ever encountered. You're going to struggle with that. Let's find some enemy light. Let's find somebody that, you know, readily comes to mind. So who comes to mind for you? Don't think about the person who stole your family. Think maybe instead of the person whose dog is stealing your sleep at night, right? Think about the guy that lights off his fireworks at inappropriate times in the middle of the night and you just want to wring his neck. That's the guy we're talking about. So let's look at these commands again. Verse 27, the second part, love your enemies. And probably right there, we should insert the word by. Love your enemies by doing good to them. Love your enemies by blessing them. Love your enemies by praying for them. Now, the people who are standing around listening to Jesus, this is not a new concept for them. I think we think that when Jesus came, he just taught a bunch of new stuff. No, this, they'd heard this before. This wasn't new to them. The Old Testament was their Bible, and these people would have read in the Old Testament that there were some things in there about how to get along and how to do good to people that you don't necessarily get along with. For instance, we find this in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you, you if you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, 
Do not leave it there. Be sure to help them with it. Now, what we're talking about is an agrarian society, a farming culture, and in a farming culture, the ox and the donkey were crucial. I mean, you had to have both of those animals. Um, You may have a hard time relating to that. So, fellas, just let me put it to you in terms you can understand. Tractor, pickup truck, okay? Tractor and pickup truck. If you're a farmer, you need a tractor, and if you're a farmer, you got to have a pickup truck, right? Because you got to get stuff out of the field, and once you get it out of the field, you got to take it to market, and you need a truck for that stuff, and you need a tractor for that stuff. So without an ox, you've got no way to plow your field. Without a donkey, you've got no way to get what you've got out of the field to market. So they needed these things. Um, it, was, it was crucial to them. So what's the point of the command that we just read? Let's pretend, I was going to say let's pretend that there's this guy, but let's make it more personal. Let's pretend that it's you. You're in Jesus' time, you have a donkey, and you have an ox, and while you've got your ox out in the field, tending your field, trying to get it ready to harvest, your donkey wanders off your property, and it wanders a long way off. And at the end of the day, you come back to the, you know, the lean-to or whatever it is that you've got there as a barn or a shelter or whatever you've got, and you're kind of putting your ox away, and you realize, no donkey. Donkey's nowhere to be found. And you look up, and down your lane, here comes your worst enemy, right? Like the guy that, when we talk about enemies, that who, that's who comes to mind. And you see him coming, and he's got in his hands a rope, and attached to that rope is your donkey, And you're like, "Um, what in the world? And he gets a little closer, and you're like, yeah, that's him. I want to be mad at him, but that's my donkey. And so he comes up, and he says, hey, I was out, and I saw your donkey wandering off by himself, and I I know that's not like you. You you know, I, I knew it wasn't supposed to be like that, so I was able to get a hold of him, and I just thought I would bring him back to you. Okay, your enemy just did that. Don't you think that that goes to some extent to mend that relationship? The next time you think about that enemy, won't you think about that enemy in different terms than you have previous to that? See what happens when you do something good for one of your enemies? You take a step to build a bridge to mend a relationship. It's pretty hard to carry a grudge against somebody who is concerned for your livelihood. You know, they come back and they say, look, I know you got to get this stuff to the market. I know you need this donkey, so here he is. I just thought I'd bring him back to you. It's a first step for this enemy relationship to be restored to something that is a good relationship again. Love your enemy by doing good to them. It's a way of breaking down a bad relationship and turning it into a good relationship. And this goes beyond our actions. This extends to our words. In verse 28 we read, bless those who curse you. This goes to how we talk about them, especially when when they're not around. Do you bless them with your words or do you curse them with your words? And then there's this fourth commandment there, pray for those who mistreat you. Now that is a command I can sink my teeth into, right? You're right, yeah, pray for them. Oh, I'll pray for them, all right. Yeah, let me pray for them. All right, everybody bow your heads, let's pray. God, I pray that you would bring your wrath to bear on them. I pray that you would rain down justice on them. And God, I don't use many Old Testament words, but I pray that you would smite them. Right? Just get them. Sick them, God. Now, it doesn't say pray against them. It doesn't say pray about them. It says pray for them. Because, see, you've been in that prayer circle, haven't you, when they're praying about them. Lord, we pray for Ethel. Ethel. 
We pray that you would help Ethel to not say things that she shouldn't say. We pray that you would help Ethel to to be sensitive to other people's feelings and not be such a jerk. God, we pray that Ethel would show up on time and not interrupt our worship service. See, the command is to pray not about them, it's to pray for them. What would that look like in your world? What would it look like for you to pray for your enemies? That you would pray that their marriage would be strong. That you would pray that, that, that God would give them joy in a difficult season of their life. Maybe you know they're going through something really hard and you pray for them and really mean it. I was having a conversation with somebody that has gone through something horrible in the first service. She didn't go through it in the first service. Man, this is hard sometimes. But they've gone through something really hard, and, and I know about it. We've done some talking about it, and I'm trying to help her through some of it. And this was her question. She said, she said Brett, but I don't mean it. I, don't, I wouldn't mean it. See, that's the kicker in this, is you want to get your heart to a place where you mean it. See, when you go through stuff with somebody, and it's painful, and it's, it's your enemy, and it's hard, It drives you back to God. It drives you back to hear his voice above all the other voices, and it drives you to do hard things. Listen, I'm going to get to it in a minute. This ain't easy. Right? This is hard. And so is it going to be easy for you to get to a place where you really mean it when you pray that their marriage would be strong? It might be, but God wants you to mean it. God wants you to mean it when you pray that they would have joy in difficult circumstances. Love your enemies, do good to them, bless them, pray for them. What is Jesus after here? What is at the center of these commands? If I asked you, what is an Ishihara plate? Do you know what an Ishihara plate is? Anybody know? You do know, you just don't know that you know. Okay? So I brought one to show you. I'm going to show you an Ishihara plate. You ever seen one of these? Okay? So what does this do for us do you know it's a colorblind test now i don't want you to call out what you see but how many of you don't say what you see but how many of you see something in that plate raise your hand okay how many of you don't see anything special in the plate raise your hand anybody a couple of hands a couple of hands okay so here's what we know we know that the people that can't see anything in that plate are colorblind to the colors green, and that's kind of like a, I don't know how well it shows up on, on the screen, but it's like a orange and tans. and So see, what, so here, the ones that are colorblind, watch this. The, the, everybody else sees the number. What number do you see, people? 74. See, we could, right now, we could tell the people who are colorblind that what you see is a monkey wearing a cowboy hat riding an alligator, and they, wouldn't, they would have no idea, right? They would say, well, I guess I got to believe you because I can't see anything in there. See, but for people who are not colorblind, 74 pops out at them. They can see it. But a person that is, that is colorblind, all they see are, they, they cannot distinguish the colors. All they can distinguish are the different sizes of the dots. And so in these commands, what Jesus is really asking us is to be, to be enemy blind. That's really what he wants. He wants us to be enemy blind and to make no distinction between how we would treat a friend and how we would treat an enemy. Just let that sink in, how hard that is. What? Oh, you thought following Jesus was easy. You thought when you accepted Jesus into your life and you got forgiveness that this was just all fun and giggles, right? Oh, this is going to be easy. I'm going to be forgiven. Woohoo! No! It's hard. 
Jesus says, love your enemies. You, you turned on the television preacher that told you he was going to make you rich, right? You turned on the television preacher that said you'd never get sick, you would always be healthy, and he was going to improve your world. Now, Jesus will improve your world. He will. He may even make you wealthy. I hope he does. I hope you stay healthy. I want that for you. But if you signed up with Jesus for that stuff, I got bad news for you. Because Jesus said you will have trouble. And Jesus said this is going to be hard. This is going to be really hard. Be enemy blind. Love your enemies. I'm telling you, this is hard. I had somebody walk out today and say, Brett, I've never heard somebody preach on that before. Now, I can do nice things for the people that are nice to me, right? People that are good to me, I can be good to them. That's no problem with that. But being an enemy blind is hard because that requires that I do nice things for the people that aren't nice to me. And that I would do those nice things with the same attitude that I would for somebody who's been nice to me. That's really hard. Being enemy, enemy blind means that when you do good for someone who hasn't been good to you, just as you would someone who has been a friend to you, that's what Jesus is calling you to. Where do you need to be enemy blind this morning? Do you pray positive things for people who are not kind to you? That you would say they even hate you? Are you willing to serve them? Where do you need to be enemy blind? Can you imagine what went through the hearts and minds of, of the Jesus followers as Jesus is there and they're standing around and and he says this, and he started them off with these four commands about loving our enemies, and then he moves them to the, these case studies, and these are like real-life examples, and there are four of them. We pick them up in Luke chapter 6, verse 29. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Four commands. If someone injures you, do this. If someone sues you, do this. If someone asks something of you, do this. If someone steals from you, do this. There are four scenarios that Jesus covers here. Let me ask you, do these seem a little over the top to you? Be honest. Do they sound hard? Over the top? Like nobody would do that. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Now, we're reading this in the book of Luke. Matthew also wrote about this, only he includes a detail that Luke leaves out, which is a little surprising because Luke is kind of known for his detail. But in this case, Matthew gives us detail that Luke doesn't include. In Matthew chapter 5, we read about the same account, and we read, if anyone slaps you on the, what is that word? Right cheek, turn to them the other also. So think this through. Why don't you take your right hand, put it up like you're going to do a Judy chop, right? Right hand. Look at your neighbor. Don't hit them, but look at your neighbor. Now, what, what happens if you hit your neighbor with your right hand on their right cheek? What have you just done? Backhand. You just backhanded them. So it's not just about the bodily injury that gets inflicted. It's not just about bodily harm. It's about harming the psyche. It is about harming the person. That'll teach them. I'll get them. Isn't that how we get when we think about the enemy? Come here, let me. Right? That's how we get. That's how we get. And Jesus said, when someone 
backhands you, you turn to them the other cheek and you, you let them do that as well. So in Jesus' culture, that's how you treated a child. That's how you treated a slave. That's how you treated someone that you viewed as inferior, okay? That, 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 he's, he's speaking to a cultural thing there a little bit, but it's, it's for us as well. And, and it was an embarrassing way, it still is an embarrassing way to be hit, right? When someone gets backhanded, that's going to bring you up out of the chair. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. So you're listening to that, and you're, here's what you're thinking. So, Brett, if I'm assaulted, I'm just supposed to stand there and take it. Is that it? These are not commands. Jesus already gave the commands. These are case studies. And Jesus has gone now to hyperbole. Jesus has now gone to intentionally going over the top. Brett, how do you know that? You know that by the second one of these that he gives. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. What Jesus is trying to illustrate here is a courtroom scene. Somebody's being sued. I think this might be where we get the expression, boy, he lost his shirt in that deal, right? Could be where it comes from. Someone is suing someone for their shirt, and Jesus said, hey, don't stop with the shirt. Just go ahead and give them the coat, too. See, I told you this last week, but clothes in Jesus' time were very valuable. They were they're expensive, hard to get. You valued clothes highly. And in that day, they wore two layers. They wore an outer garment, and then they wore an inner garment that, that laid next to the skin. That's really all they had. And it's as if Jesus is saying, if they're going to take your underwear, strip down and just give them all of it. I'm sorry to put that image in your head, but that's kind of where he's going. Okay, now you got to understand that the coat was a, I mean, your underwear is a big deal. We all know that. But your coat was a big deal because your coat was not just your coat. Your coat was also your blanket. Your coat at times became the pallet on which you slept. The coat was really important. It was expensive, hard to come by. Now, I doubt that what Jesus literally means is you give your coat away. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think Jesus is intentionally going over the top and using hyperbole to get to the heart of the matter. So you ask yourself, what is at the heart of the matter? See, if someone hits you, what do you want to do? You want to hit them back. If someone comes after you in court, what's your reaction? Oh, you want to cost me? I'll cost you. You're going to sue me? Let me lawyer up and sue you. I'll countersue you. I'll sue you so hard. You'll never forget that I sued you. I'm going to embarrass you in court. You want to embarrass me? I'll embarrass you. I'll cost you. You're going to cost me? I think what Jesus is saying here is no retaliation. Just because somebody's coming after you does not mean that that you have the right to go after them. Just because somebody else is nasty does not give you the right to be nasty to somebody else. There seems to be a little bit more going on here. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, it's interesting that he doesn't say, don't hit them back. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, don't retaliate. It says, turn to them the other cheek also. It is as if you are offering more. If someone takes your shirt, don't take their shirt. Offer them more. Give them your coat also. And then Jesus does away with the item altogether, and he says it like this. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Let them keep it. Jesus is looking for a heart transformation, a heart that doesn't say, I will get even, but a heart that turns and says, but I will even give. Only Jesus can do what we're talking about this morning. 
Only Jesus can take a heart that is caught up in hatred for an enemy and turn that into a heart that wants to give to an enemy. Only Jesus can do that. Some of you have been through divorce in the room. You've been through that process. I've done a lot of counseling with folks that have gone through that. And and, and a common theme for anybody that's ever gone through that process is the bitterness that rises up in you. And the spouse has taken so much and now they want even more. And the woman is sitting across from me in a counseling situation, and she's, you know, kind of crying in her beer, and she says, Brett, he's taken all this stuff out of our house, he's taken so much already, and now he's taken the washer and dryer. The man never did the laundry, but he took the washer and dryer. You know, dude comes in and he says, man, she's trying to clean me out, she even took the lawnmower. She never mowed the grass, but she took my lawnmower. See, it's not taking if you give it. It's not taking if you give it to them. Turning an activity that was meant to be violent or meant to be aggressive or meant to humiliate you and turn it into an act of generosity, this is what it means to follow Jesus. And man, is it hard. It means giving to people that we don't like. It means giving our emotional energy and our finances and giving of ourselves. And we are to turn a heart that wants to get even into a heart that even gives. Now, why in the world would a person want to do that? Because this is going to cost me. It's going to cost me time. It's going to cost me money. Why would a person want to do this? Jesus is talking about this, he gives some commands, some case studies, and then he turns to the motivations behind it, and he starts to talk about why somebody would do this. Luke chapter 6, verse 32, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. And here he repeats the commands. But love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great. It's as if Jesus is talking to these guys and he says, you know the Roman soldiers that you hate so much, do you know what they really love? They love their buddies. And they're really good to their buddies. So when you're good to your buddies, you're really not doing anything more than the Roman soldiers do. You want to be better than them, but you're going to refuse to love your enemies. If all you're going to do is love your friends, then you're just like the Roman soldiers. That's all they do. They don't love their enemies. I'm calling you to something higher than that. There's a better motivation. The Roman authorities who oppress you, they do good things for those who who do good things for them. They're not doing good things for people that are not good to them. Is that your goal? Is that your standard? The Roman authorities, really? It's like Jesus is saying, look, let's take this up a notch because your standard is really, really low right now and it needs to be bumped up. Jesus says there's no bonus points for being like the Roman soldiers, okay? No bonus points for being like the king. It's the kid in college. We've got a bunch of college kids that are coming back. I love it. I saw some that hadn't been back in a while and and it was their first time back and I I told her, I said, you look so smart. She said, all I know is I'm tired. I remember the first time I went off to college and I came home, I went off to a Bible college and I went to Sunday school because I thought I was going to know everything in Sunday school and man, I thought I was something else. I thought I was so stinking smart. 
And I know I don't know anything now. And I know I really didn't know anything then. But, you know, you go to school, and, and I always, college was a great experience for me. It was four of the best years of my life. But the one day I hated was the day you went to school and you got your, you went to class and you got the syllabus. It was syllabus day. They hand you a syllabus for every class, and you look through that, and it's like all the work that's going to be expected of you in the semester. And you go through the day, and you accumulate all these syllabi. That's how you say that. You say syllabi, plural. I'll give you some learning in here now. So, So you get all these syllabi, and you come home to your dorm room at the end of the night, and you're looking through, and you're like, oh, good Lord, I'm going to have so much work to do. So you think about this college kid. He gets his syllabus out, and he sees that he's going to have three essays in this class. So he goes through the, the, the semester, he does his three uh, essays, he gets his grade at the end of the semester, and he, he, he's disappointed in his grade. And he goes up to the professor and he says, hey, where's the extra credit? I did those three essays. So you see the problem, right? Everybody knows right now the tension that I'm talking about because the professor's standing there thinking, no, the, the essays weren't for extra credit, the essays were the class, dude, that's the coursework. Right? I'm not giving you extra credit for that. That's why you got the grade you got. If you wanted extra credit, what should you have done? Maybe another essay or two. It's the guy at your job that doesn't ever work overtime, that doesn't go out of his way to help anybody else, is mean and nasty to everybody. And at the end of the year, everybody else gets bonuses because they worked over and they went to the wall for the company, and this guy never did that. And he's like, hey, where's my bonus? And the rest of you look at him and you're like, well, dude, it's a little overtime little sacrifice for the company maybe and, and thinking about somebody beside yourself and thinking about your, co- your co-workers might get you to a place where you might, they might share a bonus with you. But if you're not going to do that, why would anybody share a bonus with you? You don't get a bonus for what's expected of you. You get a bonus for going over and above. I, you know, if, if I'm just good to the people who are good to me, that doesn't separate me from the pagans. Everybody does that. Jesus says, God is watching you, and when you're good to those who are not good to you, then you will get credit for that. When there are people that are not saying nice things about you, but you're saying nice things about them, God's watching you. And and Jesus seems to indicate that there's credit that is extended to you for that. At the very end of the teaching, Jesus says, then your reward will be great. Now let's get really clear about something. There's a difference between a reward and the blessings that we receive as a result of our belief in Jesus, okay? When we came to Christ and we were given eternal life, we were promised eternal life and we were forgiven, not just of what you have done, but you've been forgiven for what you will do. Let that sink in on you. That's a game changer. I say that to people and they look at me like that's not a big deal. That is a huge deal, huge. You're forgiven. If you came to Christ, you're forgiven. Sin, you, you don't, that's something God has taken care of for you, all right? So, so that's, that's an unconditional thing. But there's a difference between the reward that we, we receive for believing in Jesus and the rewards that we receive for our behavior. There's a difference in those two things. Those two, very different. When we place our belief in Jesus, we get 100% of God's love, 100% of his forgiveness, 100% full acceptance into the family. That is unconditional. Those blessings do not change. What Jesus is talking about here are blessings that we receive based on our behavior, and those blessings are conditional. God's love is unconditional. Blessings based on behavior are conditional. We can't just expect God to bless us when we live however we want to, right? 
There are blessings that come by living according to his way. We, we see this in the life of David. Uh, David is a, 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 a character described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart, which should give all of us great cause for rejoicing. Because if you know anything about the life of David and you know what he did, that he could be considered a man after God's own heart, it's like, whoo, there's hope for me, right? That's, that's kind of how we look at that. He did a really bad thing. He, one day he had an affair, and to cover up that affair, he tried to have, he did not didn't try, he did. He had the husband of the woman with whom he had the affair, he had him killed. He basically put him on the front line. David was the king, could make those decisions. Had him put on the front line, had the troops withdraw from him. He was a sitting duck. They killed this guy named Uriah. And God is going to confront David through a, a prophet and this is what the prophet and God says through the prophet to David. 2 Samuel 12. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, check this out. You might, if you ever find this, underline this. I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. David, there was blessing that I had in store for you if you had only followed my way. If your behavior had been like mine, I would have given you even more. God is watching and when we're enemy blind and we treat our enemies as friends, God notices. And there's some sort of credit that we are given and the reward will be great. Now, you want to know what the reward is? Yeah, I, I would like to know too. If you find out, let me know. I don't know. I don't know what the reward is. The Bible doesn't tell us what the reward is for our behavior. He doesn't tell us. But, but before we go any further, can I just stop and I'm going to ask you a question. Just let me ask you this one question. Whatever the reward is, okay, just let me ask you this question. In your lifetime, when you think about the gifts that God has given you in your lifetime, think about this. Have you ever been given a gift by God and thought, well, I'm disappointed. That's a bad gift. No. I mean, aren't the gifts of God wonderful? I mean, I, for, for my money... God's never disappointed me with the gifts he's given me. I mean, there's been some gifts that at the time I didn't know they were gifts, and I was going through it, and I'm like, man, this stinks. And then later you look back and you're going, well, if I'd known that was a gift at the time, I might have said that one was not real great. But now that I've learned from it, even that is a great gift, right? That's kind of how we get to. Here's something to consider. Is it possible that some of the rewards happen in this lifetime? I think it's possible. When you treat your ex-spouse like a friend, when you treat them with dignity, when you're not hateful and mean and nasty, even though they're coming after you, maybe the reward is that the parenting transfer goes a little easier for you. Is it possible that when you treat your teenager who's constantly challenging you, constantly coming after you, constantly making your life miserable, is it, is it possible that the payout is that if you're good to them and you're a friend to them, and I know, you, you know you're, you're their parent first, you're not their friend first, I get that, but is it possible that if you treat them as a friend that maybe you might enjoy and experience a little bit more joy in your house? Is it possible that maybe things go a little smoother and there's a little more harmony if you just learn to be kind 
It might be that the reward happens immediately. It might be that the reward happens a little bit later in life. Maybe I'll go from a man who doesn't want to get even all the time to a man who even gives. Maybe then I won't grow up into a crotchety old man. Maybe then I grow up into an old man that young people look at and go, you know, that guy's really cool. That guy's got wisdom like you can't believe. Go hang out with him. He can teach you something. He's not mean and nasty like most old men are. He actually likes young people. He doesn't sit around going, back in my day, you know, he's, he actually talks to us. Maybe, you know what, maybe we grow up to be someone old and we're still fun to be around and we've still got joy and we still don't look down our nose at everything and, and yell at people, get off my lawn! Maybe the reward is in the distant future when we are with God. Maybe there's some honor or prestige or influence that happens. Maybe that's part of the reward. I don't know. Jesus does not tell us what the reward is. He does give it as a motivation. The motive needs to be that God is watching and he gives you credit when you treat enemies like friends. And it's possible for that to be a motivation, but I would say that's a low motivation. I want to give you a higher motivation. Jesus continues this teaching and he gives those commands again. He says, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back, then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. And listen to this, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Wrap your head around this thought right here. That dude that shot up Las Vegas last week, he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That's who God is. I want to take you somewhere. Come go with me somewhere. I want to show you something. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, that's gorgeous. That is God with a paintbrush in his hand is what that is. Now, I want to ask you a question. When God painted that sky, was that just for the Christians that are standing under it to appreciate and love and admire? Did he just do that for the Christians or did he do that for everybody? You can be a total jerk face and be on that beach, and God made that for him too. Right? That's not just for the Christians. It, it goes beyond that. It's beautiful, and it's beautiful for everybody. God has created that for everyone to enjoy, whether you believe in him or not. You don't even have to believe in him. He's like, I, I'm, bam, sunset, check that out. You don't even believe in me, but I'm going to give that to you. Ain't I awesome? Only God's English is better. So, so maybe you're driving in the Smoky Mountains and you come around the corner and have you ever seen a sight like that? Isn't that the most beautiful thing? Now let me ask you, the, the, the atheists that are driving through the Smokies and they round that corner, did God not give that to them too? God made that for them too, right? That's for all of us. That's not just for the Christians. See, it amazes me. Christians start thinking that everything's just for them because they believe in Jesus and Jesus must love them more and love them better. No, God made that for everybody. Here's one for you. I got, I got some apple pie here. And I know what you're thinking about now. You're thinking, oh, when Brett eats on the stage, he usually brings enough for all of us. No, I didn't. <laughs> no, I just wanted to enjoy a little pie. And that's good. A flaky crust. Apple pie mixed with sugar. That's got a lot of calories in it, but that is, that's pretty tasty. Now, here's the thing. I believe God made apple pie. 
God make apple pie just for Christians? You cannot even believe in God. You can be a total jerk face and go into the store and buy you, and some of you probably will now. (laughs) You can go into the store and you can buy an apple pie and you can go enjoy it and never believe in Jesus, never love your enemies, never think about anything other than yourself. You can be that person And God still made apple pie for you. See, when we love our enemies and we do good to them, we look like our heavenly father. We look like our spiritual dad. You know what God has done for you? If you've accepted Christ, if you've come to him and you've professed your faith and you've received forgiveness, this is what God's done for you. God sent his son so that you would have forgiveness and you would have mercy. Paul wrote it like this. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. See, while we wanted nothing to do with God, while we were his enemies, while we were against him, he still sent Jesus and he still gave us this immense love and this forgiveness, even for his enemies. He did that for his enemies. Is that you this morning? How are you treating your enemies these days? Are you an enemy of God? Not that, not that he sees you that way, but there may be someone here that's never given their life to Christ, never professed Christ, never been forgiven, and, and they kind of look at God as an enemy. They keep him at arm's length. They don't want anything to do with him, don't want to be in the same room with him. Somebody dragged you here this morning, all right? Like, you don't want to be here. I don't want to hear this. I don't. Listen, if, if I just described you, he did this for you. He did this for you, an enemy. Not that he sees you that way, but that you see him that way. Don't, don't hold him at arm's length. For the rest of us, you're going to be a Jesus follower? It's hard. You're going to be a disciple of Jesus? Let me tell you, that's, that's not, it's hard. It doesn't, it's difficult. Because if you want to look like Jesus, Jesus died for us. <laughs> you've got to wake up every day of your life and you've got to die to yourself. That is hard. For those of you that might be in the room that have never given your life to Christ, I'm inviting you to follow a man who would revolutionize your life to a point that he would call you, and he's not afraid to call you, to love your enemies, to make you better, to make you a better human being. That's what I'm calling you to. Is it hard? Oh, you better believe it. Would your life change? Absolutely. Would you ever regret it? I've never met a person. they, They may exist. I don't know. I've never met a person that followed Jesus that regretted it. We extend that invitation to you this morning. Let's pray, and the band will come out and play us out, and we'll be dismissed. Father, this that we talked about this morning is, is there's no, it's just hard to do this. This goes, flies in the face of everything that we've talked about or that we, that we, we do. This, this is not normal or natural for us. The, the human nature in us, when we get struck, we want to strike back. Someone talks bad about us, we want to talk bad about them back. God, we just, we're all about retaliation. 
and you. (laughs) The very people that put you on the cross are people that you died for and you extended your grace and your forgiveness to them. And God, there's not a one of us in here that deserves what we got from you when we came to Christ and yet you've forgiven us, not just for what we have done, but for what we will do. Grace abounds to us. We never have to worry about our sin. You've taken care of that. Eternity is ours. Glory is ours. God, we love you for that. But how do we experience all that and then turn around and not go love our enemies? And Father, how do we mean it? This is not going to be easy and it cannot be done without your help. So we beg you for your help this morning. I pray that you would make some really cool, incredible things happen this week as we endeavor to go love our enemies. And God, here's the thing. They may not love us back. They may laugh in our face. They they may scoff. They may humiliate us. Father, would we be steadfast? And would we love like you love? And Lord, for the person in the room that's never given their heart to you, I pray that they would see this as more than some list of do's and don'ts. That is so petty and that is so beyond what you're calling us to. You call us to life change. And I pray that you would draw that person unto you. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We lift our hands and we honor you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.